Welcome back to another episode of All Things Red. On today's show, I have the man, the myth, the legend, Alex Misterman. Um, Alex is my former roommate at Mercyhurst. He played football at Mercyhurst. He also played lacrosse at Mercyhurst. Um, and now he is a first lieutenant in the United States Marines. My man, how are we doing? Hey guys, what's going on? It's Rico here filling in. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just playing. <laughs> What's going on, man? It's good. it's good to be on here. It's good to be on here. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, how's uh, how's the Cali life treating you? Uh, I got no complaints, man. Sunny San Diego. Uh, doing a lot of exploring, a lot of good weather. Um, only had some overcast, you know, a couple of days out here, but uh, more often than not, it's it's sunny and hot. So, I would probably say the only thing that sucks is I have to wear pants every day. <laughs> I, I wish I could wear shorts. Why do you got to wear pants every day? Um, so whether I'm in uniform or I'm working at the hotel uh, where we're where we're housing recruits, um, obviously the uniform is is uh, trousers and a blouse with the sleeves rolled up. But um, when I'm at the hotel, it's got to be professional attire. So anywhere from business casual to a full blown suit, I guess whatever tickles your fancy, you can show up and dress up however you want as long as you look professional. Do they, when you're, like, on the base and shit like that and you got to wear pants, do they do that shit for, like, a, like, discipline or military tactic? Because when I came to your graduation and we were on base, um, the and those dudes were, like, training. And it was, like, I was wearing a fucking polo and flip-flops and I was sweating my ass off. And those dudes had, like, a full-blown, like, suit on with training, with a backpack and all that shit. Yeah, so it's not a discipline thing. It's it's a training thing. So if you think about hiking through the woods, like a lot of people hike, you know, mountains or whatever, go through the woods and, you know, do local hikes. You know, you want to be comfortable and you want to wear, you know, shorts and a nice pair of boots and whatnot. But what you're also not thinking about is how much branches and leaves touch your skin. So the mm-hmm. pants are there to basically protect you from abrasions and anything in close proximity to like, poison oak or poison ivy so if it's touching your pants you're obviously not getting poison ivy whereas then you'd have to leave the field um, and go to medical and then you'd be out of the fight basically for however long it takes you to clear that up so Uh it's more of a it's more of a training thing Um, so what we do is it's called blousing our boots Um, you have boot bands and I know a lot of times it looks like our uniforms tucked into our boots but really it's folded up underneath the boot band um, and holding it tight to your, tight to your body. <clears throat> so a lot of times you see like the boot bands or the, the blouse, the blouse boots kind of goes above the boot. You can kind of sometimes see um, service member socks. Um, but that's kind of like, we call it the Hollywood, the Hollywood Marine style. Um, but realistically, if you look at anybody who's in the infantry profession or engineer community, Anybody who's realistically out in the field doing like actual training in the field, like you blouse your boots way lower because you don't want to get anything inside of your boots. If that makes sense, like dirt and anything else like that, you're trying to avoid it from getting inside your boots to where you have like a pebble inside your boot. Therefore you're stepping on it. You're getting a blood blister. So it's kind of more or less to kind of keep you um, out of like small things that can take you out of the fight or like cause injury. Uh, no, that makes sense. That makes complete sense. All right, well, fuck it. Let's let's uh let's run it back. Let's get it going to all the way. Kind of, you know, we'll bring it back to how you got to where you are today and whatnot. So, 
um you and i we've known each other for geez for years now because we played travel across together when we were younger um we played a lot of lacrosse when we were younger just because you were from Buffalo originally as well. And then once I transferred into Mercyhurst, I ended up living with you because Coach Ryan gave me the option of living with Ben Brooks and Vaughn or you and Brady. But I didn't know Brady and I didn't know Brooks or Vaughn. And since I didn't really like have the best experience at my last school, I was like, I'm going to go with the kid that I know. I'm going to live with Mr. Man. And it's funny because when I told Ben and Derek that story, Ben's like, oh, you, you fucked up. (laughs) (laughs) But, but, uh, but no. So like, you know, kind of like going off um, about you, like what, um, how did you, how did you end up at Mercyhurst? Uh, So the recruiting process starts when you're probably junior year. I would say if you're like a really high value target for a lot of universities, maybe sophomore year or earlier, as you know, you previously had on Adam DeMillo, like cross is had like no boundaries. Um, so they were recruiting people out of high school. Um, but in terms of football, um, they're realistically not allowed to talk to you until junior year of high school. That's when a college can reach out to you. Don't know mm-hmm. if the rules have changed, but if you reach out to them first, like say freshman, sophomore year and ask them to kind of like, you know, watch you or you continuously send them film. If you initiate that contact, the college is allowed to respond, but anything further than that is very much illegal to the NCAA. Like that's, you know, trying to get a football player when he's, you know, you know, a freshman in high school or even further, like eighth grade year, you know, you see some prospect, you're like, wow, this is, this dude's going to be a five-star recruit. Um, It's kind of like, you know, you're trying to stack your team and it's almost unfair, especially if they live in that, in that local area. But a lot of things that other people don't realize is that college coaches talk. So if they're recruiting somebody that, you know, maybe you want to go there, but you know, the college is like, well, we already have that position filled, but you are a great athlete and you do fit this mold. Like here's, you know, an organization that might be able to utilize you. Coaches will do that. Just like you share, you know, film on other teams, you know, they talk, you know, they're trying to make the most fair game that they possibly can. So like, if they don't need you or they don't, they can't utilize you in a way, sometimes coaches will reach out to other coaches and be like, Hey, you should give this kid a look. Um, maybe he's somebody that can help your program out. So um, for that, um, I actually didn't get recruited for across too much. Um, more or less. I was honestly focused more on getting recruited for football. So mm-hmm. I believe it was my sophomore year. Uh, my head coach at St. Francis, Jerry Smith, uh, gave us an opportunity of a lifetime. And it was our spring break uh, from high school. And he's like, hey, you can either take this week to go hang out with your families and, you know, go get fat and happy, <clears throat> as Coach Ryan would say, right, like uh, on your break and go, you know, wherever, Florida, you know, Fort Lauderdale or any, anywhere warm. Or you can come on this road trip with me and we can bang up and down the East Coast and hit up 25 different colleges where you can either sit down um, with the head coach or the assistant coaches for breakfast, lunch, or dinner. So for that spring break is probably one of the most awesome experiences I ever had. We, we traveled to 25 different college campuses, got a tour of the campus, tour of the football facilities. And then, like I said, we had, you know, we had a meal at each one of these universities um, and got a chance to meet the coaches. And then you basically just took notes on, you know, which ones you like best, what, you know, what the atmosphere was like, what you liked about the the school, what you didn't like about the school, what you liked about the academic program that they kind of put in your face. Like, 
you know, what was the coaching staff, what you were looking for, you know, how were the facilities? Um, was it a big school feel? Was it a small school feel? Um, so you got a chance to do all that stuff. But I think the coolest part was that like, if you had a highlight tape that you put on like a DVD or, or whatever you had it on, like a, uh, like a USB drive, like you could hand that directly to the coach. And now that just shoots up to the top of their pile because mm-hmm. you gave it to them. They saw your face, you introduced yourself to that coach. And like, you know, obviously like, you know, people like myself, they didn't have endless amounts of, you know, highlight tapes to give away. So you had to like kind of pick and choose and like unknowingly hope for the best if that was like the college that you thought you wanted to go to, but like you ran out of a tape. And then like the last college that we went to, you were like, holy shit, like this is the one, but you didn't have the tape anymore. So, you know, you wanted to get rid of all your highlight tapes and hand them to coaches, um, you know, face-to-face but you also didn't want to give away all of your highlight tapes too early and kind of miss out on the one that you really thought you wanted to go to but like i said that was i was i was mainly focused on trying to get recruited for football um i didn't realize that i had more of an opportunity to get recruited for lacrosse until late um it's actually a super funny story because i wasn't even getting recruited by mercers for lacrosse um at least to my knowledge um Coach Ryan had said that he had reached out to me via email or something um, with no response. Whether I just didn't see those emails or my father didn't see those emails or anything like that, like don't know where the lost communication was. Um, but I was at some point on his recruiting list with, but apparently I, you know, didn't respond back. So at that point, what do you do with a, you know, somebody you're trying to recruit who doesn't respond? You kind of move on to the next one, right? Exactly. Um, yeah. So, um, in that process, especially at a school, uh, especially a school like Mercyhurst, because later, but like, um, there's kids that would, I don't want to say die to play there, but there's so many kids that would love to play there. But we kind of like take oh, it for granted. Absolutely, yeah. Um, so yeah, it was a really fun process. Um, also, a really weird one for me. So, um, it's always been my dream to play Division One football and and you know try to make it to the league. Um, obviously, the statistics are absolutely wild. The amount of people who even leave school football and play college ball is, is such a small number. And then even to go play at a division one level is even smaller of a number. And then to make it to the NFL is like less than, you know, half a percent. Um, but for someone my size and stature, right, five, six, 195 pounds, like you got to bring something to the table. You know, college teams at the division one level are looking for somebody who's like six foot, 220, right? So if you're not running – a four, four, 40 or under, like, what are they going to use you for? That's basically what they're looking for. They're looking for what's your potential. So a lot of those big D one schools never reached back out to me. I had some luck with uh, Duquesne university and um, assumption and some other, and some other bigger schools uh, that weren't necessarily high D one, but maybe D one double a. Yeah. But then again, once I started to get letters and stuff like that for lacrosse, I was like, Oh, well maybe I can, you know, go for lacrosse. But at that point, you know, you're asking an 18 year old kid to choose what he's going to do for the next four years and, you know, go to a university and pick what he's going to study and do as a job for the rest of his life. So huge decision. I've been playing football since I was five years old. So like to give something up like that, that I've been dreaming about for my entire life, whereas I picked up lacrosse kind of late, um, like seventh, eighth grade, um, to kind of give up all those years of training for football was like, I couldn't do it. So 
I kind of tried to play the system and like see where I could play both at. A lot of schools didn't like that. Um, told me it was not possible. I had to pick or choose. Um, so like, for example, you Albany, um, I was getting recruited there for football. I was also getting recruited to go there for lacrosse. Now, mm-hmm. two coaches, you know, started talking. They're like, all right, well, which one does he think he wants to do more? Because he's not going to play both. Uh, and a lot of coaches' minds, I wanted to play football more. So football or lacrosse got, or, you know, recruit, recruiting coaches started to fall off. Well, some coaches thought I wanted to play, you know, the other sport. So those coaches started to fall off. And now I'm at a point where, like, I'm not getting talked to by any coaches and nobody's interested. So for a while, I thought I wasn't going to play a college sport at all. And I was going to have to kind of, you know, suck up the dream and, and go play D3 football at St. Lawrence. I'm not saying that St. Lawrence is a bad university because I was actually one it's of the hell of a school I went to. Yeah, yeah, I honestly loved my visit there. And I had a buddy named Zach Wells who played there. And the program was great. Um, I believe one of the coaches was a St. Francis alumni. So, like, the connection was really strong there. Um, but I just knew that I was better than playing D3. Um, so, for me, that wasn't, like, a huge thing that I wanted to do. And it was also a little bit more money to go there um, than it was to go to Mercier's. So, in the end, obviously, I picked Mercier's. But um, so – Again, back to the whole like coaches falling off. Um, I went on a few visits, um, you know, and one of the best advice I, someone gave me was go on as many visits as you can. So if you're a high school athlete listening to this, go on every single visit you get invited to. It's only going to help make your decision easier, um, show you exactly what you like and what you don't like. It kind of solidify your decision in the end. The more experience you have at different universities, the more you're going to know what you want. So I, as I kept going on more visits, you know, whether they were lacrosse or whether for football, um, like I went to U of R, um, went to St. Lawrence, I went to Kanish on a visit for lacrosse, uh, you know, a bunch of different places. I went on an unofficial visit to U Albany, watched one of my uh, high school linemen playing a football game. So I had a lot of great experiences doing that stuff. Um, and it kind of made me have a, I guess, a, a clear mind on what I wanted. Um, but again, uh, after a while, I started to like, you know, hear crickets in terms of the recruiting room. Um, and I asked one of my, my high school quarterback, uh, I was like, hey, like, you know, what are, what are we doing this weekend? Like looking for plans. He's like, oh, I, I can't do anything this weekend. I'm actually going on a visit to Mercier's for football. And I was like, oh, I was, you know, reaching out to Mercier's trying to, you know, get a visit there and they didn't reach back out to me. So I was kind of upset about that. And um, I was like, well, who's the coach you were talking to? Um, and I believe it was coach Herman um, or, or <laughs> <the> media. <laughs> but either way, my buddy uh, gave me their number and I called him and I was like, Hey coach, uh, here you're bringing my high school quarterback out for a visit this week. I was like, I'm pretty sure I've reached out to you a few times. I um, was wondering why you you know, reach out to him and pull him and not me. I was like, I'm coming on this visit. And he's like, okay, all right. Well, show times at this time on, on Saturday or whatever and uh, meet us at the football office. And that was it. I basically forced my way into the football office um, as an 18-year-old kid coming out of high school, like demanding that I get a visit there. Um, so me and uh, my quarterback go up there together Um and they didn't even have a packet ready for me when I got there. You know, like when you go to school, you, you have like a recruiting packet ready for you with your name on it. Yeah. They still, They were still printing my stuff out by the time I got there because I called them like the day before. I was like, yo, I'm coming tomorrow. Um, 
<laughs> so it was a good time. And you want it's a funny story. You want to know who my, uh, you know, how uh, players get like the recruits. Yeah. Who was your uh, host? My host was Kyle Briggs. <laughs> <laughs> no fucking way. Yeah, so all we did was talk shit for, like, the first 20 minutes because, obviously, he played at St. Joe's, and um, St. Joe's and St. Francis have a good rivalry going on for football, and I just remember talking so much shit to him. Um, and it's funny because there's a picture uh, from the Buff- from one of the newspapers that does sports in Buffalo of um, Jordan's brother, Austin Zakrzemski, oh, yeah. stiff-arming mm-hmm. Kyle's helmet off of his face basically and it's it's a great picture so i asked kyle about that before and he was just like i actually the when i was watching the i watched the floyd mayweather uh conor mcgregor fight with jordan and his dad and that that picture is hanging up in their house yeah it is and i I snapped it i sent it i snapped it to uh i snapped it to uh kyle and he's just like yeah that man almost took my neck off (laughs) (laughs) yeah so we, we talked shit for a little bit, but it was cool because it was like, you know, uh, a warm, welcoming, you know, handshake, you know, when we got there, you know, somebody that we kind of knew um, between me and me and uh, my quarterback. Um, so that was pretty cool. And, you know, we go out, we do all the things that you're supposed to do, you know, when you're going to. Rec- um, and funny story, I have to tell you this offline, but we ended up at Kelly Hines's apartment on Briggs Ave. Um, and we got we almost got in trouble. So it was it was, <laughs> it was pretty hilarious. But. Anyways, the next morning we're at breakfast and next thing I know, Coach Ryan comes up to me and he's like, hey, uh, heard you on campus. Uh, looking forward to talking to you later. I was like, what do you mean? He's like, well, um, I hear one of your you know, requests is that if there's a chance you could play both football and lacrosse at Mercer's. And he I loves that shit. Football. Yeah. And he's like, I spoke to the football staff and they're OK with it. I was like, all right. He goes, so after you're done eating, he's like, uh, come back down to the office and uh, I'll show you around the lacrosse locker room and, and kind of give you a tour of what we do. So I broke off from my uh, my quarterback and I kind of went on my own, met up with Coach Ryan. And he's like, you understand that, like, it's so wild that you're here right now because I've been trying to get in touch with you for a while. He's like, I wanted to recruit you after I saw you play in whatever tournament that it was. And I was like, well, that's odd. I was like, I don't think I've ever received anything from you. He goes, well, you know what? It doesn't matter because you're here now. Um, and we kind of went through the whole thing. And um, <laughs> once they kind of solidified that I could play both there, I was like, you know what? Like, this is it. Like, this is kind of what I wanted because I couldn't choose between playing football or playing lacrosse. Um, so I was like, yeah, this is it. And they kind of helped with the whole financial aid thing. And, and they gave me everything that I asked for. So I couldn't have been happier with, with uh, how that all went. Um, obviously it was a long, long road and, and kind of a weird one, but you know, everything happens for a reason and, uh, yeah, the rest is history. But as for you moving in, I thought that was fucking the most hilarious thing of all time. Cause I already knew Megan was there. Um, and obviously well, that's you guys were boys. Not, I was, <laughs> yeah, not to, not to cut you off, but that's solely the reason I went there was because I, well, after my freshman year, I knew I wanted to leave Hobart, but my mom's just like, you know, give it a chance. Like, just it's it's completely new. Like, just give it a chance. And on top of it, too, it was like the first time I never played before, even though that wasn't that was not something that bothered me. Like, I knew going into college, especially Division One lacrosse with like the schedule we had where we played Syracuse, Cornell, 
Um, and at the time we had, we were in the EC, ECAC, I believe it was, or the ECIC. I don't remember. No, and our, yeah, ECAC. And our conference was Ohio State, Denver, Loyola, Michigan. And so, like, I knew that I, there was a chance I wasn't going to play. But that wasn't the reason I wanted to leave. But um, it got to a point where I was just like, I need to get the fuck out of here. Like, these first couple years of college have just been the worst years of my life, like, almost. So, I'm just like, you know, Mercyhurst recruited me out of high school. I knew you were there. I knew Marco a little bit just from, like, obviously all of us playing champion together. Right being there um he did not stop talking about it and i was just like you know what like fuck it like i know enough people there and it's good lacrosse like and we might have a chance to win a national championship i'm like so fuck it i'm i'm going and and then and obviously the rest is history yeah and that's actually a funny story because i was at the national championship that um mercier's won because so i believe that was the same year that duke beat notre dame with like Ned Crotty on their team. Uh, yeah, it was, was that, 2011. Yeah, that was that same year. And I was actually there in Baltimore and I watched all those games. I was there for the entire weekend with my dad and my brother. So I also think that's super wild that the way, you know, the way the universe works, man, and puts you in, in places that you would have never thought and you kind of look back on it and put the pieces together. Absolutely. I'm big with that. So now, I mean, obviously, like you, you ended up finishing um towards the end of the year career well I don't want to say career but the end of you being at Mercyhurst you finished playing lacrosse and you stopped playing football like what did you have to choose one or the other other eventually or did you just get sick of it or like what led you to not playing football anymore so I would have played all four years hands down uh that was definitely something that I wanted to do um I stopped playing after my sophomore year um with the football team I was ready to go to come back um junior year to come to, to camp for football. Um, issues going on at home um, and some stuff that I had to take care of. Uh, and, you know, and, and one of the things that I love that, that coach Ryan harped on was like, you know, family and uh, you know, anything that had to do with family is like, no, go take care of it. He's like, if you got family stuff, like I need you to go take care of that because if you're, if your head's work with your family and your head's not in the game, He's like, then I can't use you because you're not 100% here, and I need you to be 100% here. Um, and I don't want to talk talk negative about, you know, the football coaching staff because, you know, I had a great time with the football team, you know, made a lot of good friends. Um, and, you know, football is a great sport, and I, I love it. And I even went to coach it after I left Mercyhurst at, at Kenesha High School. Um, but it was just a different, different level of kind of understanding um, with the football program. Um, it was, it was more, I would say, I would err on the side of saying it was more political. Um, and as, as the years went on at Mercier's, um, I always kept getting asked if I was showing up to, you know, football practice when we were, when we were starting the lacrosse season, like for spring ball. And I was like, no, so I'm not like coach Ryan didn't touch me or didn't talk to me other than in passing saying hello and asked me how things are doing. He never asked me if I was showing up to fall ball. Like, I, I shouldn't have to hear that from you when I'm in season. Like, I'm preparing for a game. I need to be 100% focused on the cross when I'm on the cross season. As, you know, vice versa, when I'm in football season, I'm 100% focused on football season. Of so, course, yeah. as, as they utilized playing both sports to come to that university, um, they also kind of use it as a tool to kind of wedge me between picking one or the other. Of um, course. And that's not something that I wanted to do. 
And in the end, I obviously had to make that decision. It was one of the most you know tough decisions I ever had to make, which is giving up football, the dream that I played, you know, a, a sport that I played my entire life and a dream that I've had forever. Right. But in the end, like that to me showed the true colors of the football program and something that I didn't want to be a part of. Um, and after some words were exchanged between myself and the coaching staff, um, you know, I was like, yeah, you know what? You guys just told me straight to my face why I'm not coming back. Uh, so I'll, you know, see you guys when I see you, uh, probably on campus and passing, but have a good season. And I didn't show up to, to football camp that August. And, um, I don't want to say I quit, but I, I want to, I've parted ways, uh, with the, with the football program. It just wasn't, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't the right environment. Um, and to be honest with you, they didn't necessarily need me. Um, I should say, right. Cause like there's so many people on that team, um, that they, they, they could figure it out on their own, their, you know, football coaching staff. And that's what they're paid to do. Um, but when I showed up to, you know, school that year, um, my first day on campus, I walked right into Coach Ryan's office, and I was like, "Hey, Coach, uh, no longer on the football team. Um, you got me all year round. I'm excited for football." And he was like, blown away. He's like, "You what?" And I was like, "Yeah." I was like, "We'll we'll talk later on on the details, but you know, you got me for football. I'm here 100 percent for 100 percent of the time." And he was, you know, he loved it, <clears throat> and honestly. Um, based off the relationships with, with the lacrosse team, like I wish I did it sooner, not saying that I wish I gave up football sooner, but I wish I had four years with, with our group of guys. It's a great group of guys. And I missed out on, uh, basically a full year. So like missing fall ball for two years is like basically a full season. I missed a full year of kind of building relationships and rapport with our teammates and, uh, kind of building that chemistry as well as building upon my skills as a lacrosse player. Um, and I think that I would have been a better player, you know, on both sides of the ball had I been playing all year round. Do, uh, yeah, I, I agree with that part. Cause obviously the more you play, the more developed you become, but I don't know. I mean, I don't know how you feel about it, but I don't necessarily, cause I'm not in your shoes, but I, I don't know if I agree with the whole, like you would have built a better rapport with the team. Cause I thought that the rapport and like the relationship you did have with the guys on the team was awesome. At least from my perspective. Yeah, and I'm not saying that it was bad. What I'm saying is I think it, there was a deeper connection than there already was. Like, you know, a lot of the guys from Rochester, just like, you know, myself, you and, and Megan and Marco are all from Buffalo, right? Like, we all already knew each other. So, like, we had a really good relationship and, like, kind of a deeper connection from that aspect. Um, but, you know, so did those, you know, the rest of the team. Um, but, again, like, not being there for half a year, a lot of, lot of memories made. A lot of conversations that weren't had um and, and a lot of practice and, and chemistry that wasn't built so no i i feel that for sure because i feel that's how i feel um like had i not gotten kicked off the team i mean because i feel like i got a, a great relationship with all the guys but in i think that to your point though it could have been better it could have been deeper and then obviously the the road trips you spend with each other, the, the practices, the locker rooms, the weight, the, like the running, the conditioning, the, the, the lifting, all those things. I get what you're saying. Like combine into one, obviously advance the relationship. Exactly. And that's, and that's all I'm saying is that, you know, it, it just would have been a way better experience. And yeah. You know, it would How would you, 
how would you say the experience overall was? Um, Mercier's football across, uh, honestly had some of my best memories there with some really good guys. Um, and I've also had some of my worst memories at Mercier's. Um, so to be honest with you, I would, I would never, I would never go back to Mercier's. I, I probably wouldn't. Why, why is that? Honestly, I, I, I hate Erie, Pennsylvania. I really don't <laughs> just because, why? just because of some of those, you know, bad memories that I've had. Um, you know, uh, not necessarily something that we need to discuss, you know, online, but, um, it just left a bad taste in my mouth. Uh, if you will, um, just a place that kind of brought out the worst in me and, you know, actions that I, I did that I never thought, you know, myself to commit. Um, and also just cause like I, I had a, a pretty, deep uh dug myself a pretty deep hole and, and hit a dark dark spot while i was there um and that was due to outside factors um at home uh mm-hmm. but i let it get the best of me and it kind of made my experience tough uh i i would say that's probably the best way to describe it tough on oh. myself mentally um and i feel like i wasn't always a hundred percent in in some, in some cases where I needed to be or where I could have been like better. Um, and it's just not, not a place I want to relive. I would rather have some type of, you know, gathering or get together at a different location and still have the same result without being in Erie, Pennsylvania. No, I, I feel that. I feel that. Yeah. See, I didn't, I, I didn't have that. Like I didn't have that, like, like you were saying, like that dark, that dark, you know, um, mental at the, at the time I was there. Cause so like, I always say that it was like the best time of my life, but also like us living together, we had some funny ass, <laughs> we had some funny ass like things going on. Like I have to bring it up. I don't want to talk about it completely. Cause I want to get into like you, the Marines and everything you're up to doing now. Um, but I will say for people that are listening that know, like, I don't even know how we decided to call our house Sang, one. And two, oh, I, I think, <laughs> <laughs> okay, you could bring that up. But, and then second, the funniest fucking thing was that we had, we had these, what, there was people that came, well, the freshman wanted to have parties and then Frankie wanted to DJ at our house because he was trying to like get the name out that he's a DJ and he's making music and he, he's trying to pursue this as like a full-time career. Um, right at the time which he's been like as the years have gone on he's progressively like grown so shout out to him for that but there was a point in time where like i remember colin came was just like yo some kid just asked is this the is this the house where we could break shit and i just you know that face (laughs) colin does where yeah yeah yeah. you know that face (laughs) colin does where he like looks at you and doesn't say anything and then like he just walks away, but like in the back of your head, you know that he like he's ready to punch someone out because he's so pissed <laughs> off. <Stop. laughs> yeah. And then I don't even know how it came up with it, but like we knew that besides like the lax kids and the kids that knew you, like everyone was scared shitless at you. And so we were just like, all right, well, if people are gonna come here and party for free and fuck up our house, which it's already fucked up, and Mr. Brady's gonna be on our ass anyways, we might as well charge people. And we started charge like you would you would be at the door. And we would be allowing people to have parties at our house where we were downtown or like we would be there, but we were still charging people to get in. And I don't even remember what it was, but like some weekends we were making like $200 a weekend. 
charging. I think each one of us left with like 50 bucks every weekend. Yo, we were just charging people to get into our house. Honestly, there were some nights five bucks ahead. And then if some asshole came up the door, I'm like, yeah, that's that's fucking 20 bucks for you to get in. So like, it, all varied, <laughs> depending, it all varied depending on like who came up to the door. And honestly, there's there are some some people that came up to the door and they're like, oh, so we got to pay to get in. I'm like, yeah. And that was actually super funny. There was one weekend where I believe it was Brandon May. He was like the backdoor guard in case like somebody wanted to come through the back door. So we always had that door locked um, and somebody kind of posted up right before the stairs. Um, and this kid was like, oh, okay, tight. Yeah, we'll find a way. And I was like, no, you won't. And then I watched him go around the back and I met him at the back door. I was like, you still trying to come in? I'm like, yeah, it's 20 bucks, buddy. Um, <laughs> but yeah. And then it was just, it was just so funny. Like people would try to like, be like, oh, we're not going to pay again. I'm like, all right, go find another party. And there wasn't one. Like majority of the time we were the only party on campus. And that's because of the whole, um, the new president at Mercier's like, banning athletes to live in off base or off campus housing. So like we're probably one of the few, you know, athletic teams on campus that had a house that like allowed people to come over, especially because, you know, our freshmen wanted a place to drink. And then like that allowed the women's across team also a place to drink if they couldn't go downtown. And one night, I think it was me and Jordan were like, yo, supply and demand, like, no, yeah. House. You know, they have a party to go to, might as well charge cover and they can buy all of our alcohol or like whatever we want to put our money towards. But like we split it up pretty evenly. And honestly, great business investment. <laughs> like obviously, yeah, no, literally. but um, yeah, it was it was funny. I'd be like, yeah, go away. If you don't have money, you're <laughs> dude, like, the funniest off. thing is, is that I like, I was like, dude, no one's going to do that. Like, I just don't foresee that. And everyone did. Like, everyone's just OK with it, too. And it's not like it's not like anything crazy happened. Like we would just be in the living room, just like because our remember our neighbor thought we were in a band. <laughs> she was just she didn't care. And then when we told her, so old, she was so old, she didn't know what was uh, up or down, dude. <laughs> she she told Colin and I that she's seen better parties, and we were just like, yo, all right, word, <laughs> okay. then, yeah, and um. And then I remember uh, when we had that meeting with Coach Ryan, uh, the, dude, I was trying so hard not to laugh. But when he said that, Colin was Colin was already pissed off from the get-go before we had that meeting because he knew what it was about. And that was like, he's like, I'm not living off. He's like, I'm not living on fucking campus. Like, you know how Colin is. And yeah. Coach Ryan in the locker room said that. And Colin was just like, I'm not living <laughs> in, in front of everyone. And I was trying so hard not to bust out laughing because you know how he is when he gets upset. Yeah, he just he just talks. He speaks his mind and he talks like out of turn and then out loud so everyone can hear him. Yeah, that shit is so fucking funny. So, you know, we were talking about Mercier's for a little little bit too long, which um, which now you're in the Marines. So how did because I remember when you first told Jordan and I about that, that you were like, yeah, I'm going to go to the military. I know like me, him and I were just like, no, the fuck you're not. Because obviously, like when you think like, oh, I'm going to the military your first like your first line of thought is like frontline combat and we're like al you're not going to the military like think of something else because our thoughts were like yo we don't want something bad to happen to you but obviously you're not necessarily doing frontline at the moment because there's like no active like wars going on where you need to be deployed but like what made you decide one on the military what made you decide on to the marines versus like the other branches of the military 
Um, so funny story, I actually got recruited by West Point for football in high school and I was seriously considering it. Um, and looking back, uh, you know, if I could do the whole recruiting thing over again, uh, I would do what my brother did, which was go to a postgraduate high school where you could take that year and kind of become a better athlete, take some college courses, get your SAT scores up and kind of just like grow as an individual right in, in your sport as a as a person academically like it just gives you more time to think about what you want to do right and then you're a little bit older so like if you look at you know hockey players that play d1 most of the time they come in at like 21 years old um so like i mean a lot of people don't know but you could play high school sports to the age of 19 and mm -hmm. then you can go take a pg year and then you're turning 20 and then your first year as a freshman you're 21 and then you're that much older bigger faster stronger right so if i could go back I'd, I'd do that um but again when i was getting recruited by west point i was like ah you know what like military has always kind of been in the back of my mind it's always been something that i've thought about um and my it, i didn't know this but my grandfather was an ensign in the navy um, and he was also a Princeton graduate. And I didn't find that out until after I graduated from OCS. Uh, my cousin was in the army. Um, he came over from the Dominican Republic. He went to the army. Um, my father did a little bit of time in the army. Um, so a, a lot of stuff kind of just lined up and I was like, you know what, that sounds great, but, uh, I kind of want to have a real college experience. I kind of don't want to be like a prisoner, you know, throughout my college years, just people say are like the best years of your life. Right. Um, yeah. But I was like, yeah, I kind of want to just like, you know, and I'd already been on recruiting visits and I'd already seen what like college was like. And I was like, oh, I kind of don't want to give that up. Um, but like I said, another another thought that crossed my mind, if I could go back, I'd probably do it. Either that or the Naval Academy. Um, those are great schools and they still have Division One sports. And granted, you know, you are in the military and you do, you know, you are contracted to fulfill um, you know, military obligation. And that's kind of like your debt as in you pay your college debt and the education that you just got for four years by service in the military. Um, so I believe Navy is, I think it's seven years because you do, maybe it's eight, you do four years in college and then you do four, you at least have to do four outside, something like that. I, I don't know the exact numbers on it, but like, you know, you're also debt free. You don't have you don't have debt at that point, right? You also mm -hmm. get a great experience. Yeah. You get a great education. You have a chance to play a Division One sport. Like all good, all good things. Um, but actually, in in those uh, in in those dark times that I had, you know, at Mercyhurst, I almost dropped out and went to the military. And I was on the phone with my mom about it, and she screamed at me. She was like, "I'll be damned if you spent three years." in college and you have one more to go and you drop out and waste all that money just to go be in the military. And I was like, all right, I'll give it a shot. Um, yeah, I and, probably, I, I probably have to beat your ass. To me, that was like a way out. And that was like, in my mind at the time, like that was a good idea. Um, but glad I didn't do that because um, going into the military with a college education, allows you to become an officer um and being an officer is probably one of the greatest things uh that's ever happened to me and that i've ever accomplished um honestly being in the marine corps is i i think the best job in in the world um but you know other people think other opinions um 
anyways, um, when I when I got out of Mercyhurst, um, and I kind of did, you know, I graduated the hospitality degree. I worked in hotels, restaurants, um, did a little bit of coaching, got my personal training certification. Was also a spin instructor um, at Vibe in Orchard Park. Um, so I was doing a lot of stuff um, right from the get go, um, and then I kind of just got sick of it all. And I'm like, why why am I surrounding myself with people that are not ambitious and that don't have any goals and they're like super content with living a mediocre life. And it just, it was poisoning. Um, and I didn't want to be a part of it. Like there are some people that I worked at in, in the hotel I worked at that I'm just like, wow, like this is what you call a, a kosher good life. And you think you're well off. And I'm like, there's so much more in that. Like I turned down, uh, a supervisor, like management position at the hotel I was at because I knew I was going to leave. Um, and you know, when this individual got on my case about, you know, how I was working, I, I turned and looked at, her, I was like, you know, I, I could have your job right now. <laughs> I was like, I turned it down. I'm like, and you don't even know how to run this front desk. So like, you actually honestly asked me more questions than some of the people that like just got hired on here and you're supposed to be the supervisor. I was like, so I hope you don't talk to me like I'm an 18 year old kid ever again. Cause I don't know who you're talking to, but it's definitely not me. Um, and that kind of like set it in stone. I was like, I need to be with people that are, are go getters and, you know, have more drive and motivation and like are actually trying to do something. Um, and I actually wanted to fly jets. I actually wanted to go to the Air Force to fly F-22 Raptors. Um, and their training, I believe, is out of Texas, and they call it Raptor Country. Um, and those things are sick. Um, honestly, they're, you know, flying is is one of the coolest things that I think you can do. Um, just the things you can see and the things that, you know, the technology that we have and the things that we're capable of in the military and the aircraft that we have, I mean, it's it's awesome. And not to mention, like, if once you get out of the military, like, you can go fly for any airline and make bank. Like, people who, like, get pulled out of the military after the fact to go fly for airlines, they're making well over, you know, $200,000 a year. Like, they're just, they're made they're made men and women. Like, they have so much money, they don't know what to do with. Um, but I went to the recruiting office for the Air Force, and I was trying to fill out an officer packet. And this guy was kind of like jerking me around. He wouldn't be at one office. He's like, oh, well, you got to come to Depew. I'm at this office. And like, I'd be bouncing around Buffalo trying to figure out like where this dude was. He didn't work all the time. He took Fridays off and he kept trying to sell me on the enlisted route. I'm like, dude, I have a college. Ed the only route I'm taking is the officer route. And he like <laughs> continued, continued to kind of push these other MOSs on me. Um, and I'm like, dude, I'm not doing that. And I found out that like he was trying to put in his officer packet too. So like realistically, like sitting down looking at my, you know, resume, I'm his competition. So he was kind of trying to get me to go a different route. So, cause we'd be coming out of the same, uh, the same location going to whatever OCS they have for, for the air force. I don't know what they call it. It's a different three letter acronym. Um, but yeah, so he just kind of kept, you know, yanking my chain and kind of pulling me around. And I showed up to a meeting in Depew um, and it was scheduled for 10 a.m. And I like to be early to things. And I ended up putting it in my calendar like an hour early. And then I showed up 15 minutes to that hour early. So now I'm an hour and 15 minutes early to this meeting. 
And I'm like, yo, where is this dude? As I'm sitting there 45 minutes, I'm like, oh, shit, that's right. It's at 10. Well, 10 rolls around, and the dude still isn't there. The office isn't even open. So right from the get-go, you know, setting a standard, you know, that you're going to show up late to a meeting, not not a good standard, you know, not a good look for a recruiter for the military, you know, where, you know, you're supposed to be disciplined and, you know, be on top of your shit, right? You either If you're 15 minutes early, you're on time. If you're on time, you're, you're late. If you're late, you're forgotten, right? Like, that's how, that's how I was taught. And so – when he pulls up at 10, I watch him walk in the office and then I kind of sat in my car and I waited. I waited 15 minutes to see if he'd call me to see where I was. And he didn't. I was like, all right, where's the nearest Marine Corps recruiting office? And it's at UB. So the also office for the Marine Corps is at UB. And I punched that into my GPS and I started driving. And he called me while I was driving 10 minutes later. And he's like, hey, man, I thought we had a meeting. I was like, yeah, dude, thought we had a meeting. I was like, that shit was at 10. He's like, yeah, I'm here. I was like, I watched you walk in late and then you didn't call me. If I was a recruiter and I had somebody meeting with me to fill out an officer packet and it was 10, 10 o'clock, I would have been calling you saying, hey, man, you better be parking your car right now and walk through that door in the next two seconds. And he's like, oh, yeah, well, and I was like, yeah, dude, sorry, you lost your chance. And I hopped the phone, walked right into that Marine Corps recruiting office, said, I'm trying to be an officer. Where's the packet at? And they handed it to me. I was like, I'll, I'll be back in two days with this information. They're like, okay. And they didn't believe me because a lot of times people take weeks, if not maybe months to fill out their officer packet to go to OCS. And I showed up two days later and they were like, holy shit. Like you weren't fucking kidding. I was like, yeah. I was like, the only thing I need is my uh, transcripts from my university. And I'm just waiting on the recommendations to be written by the three individuals that you guys asked for. And that stuff will be emailed to you as soon as I get it. And they're like, all right. And then, and then um, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to ask. But then like once that, so like once that happened, um, the rest is history, right? And then- yeah. I mean, I had to wait nine months before I actually got to go to OCS. So the slots for each station, um, are, are very minimal, right? So they only have a few slots, right? A few active duty contracts, one or two reserve slots, and then like two air contracts to fly, you know, any type of aircraft and then called a JAG, but it's essentially like a lawyer uh, for the military. Um, and those spots were already filled up for the entire summer. So I was like, all right, I guess I have to wait till, you know, January. Um, and they were like, yeah, you're going to have to fill out this packet again and kind of resubmit it next year. And I was like, well, that sucks. Because um, I didn't want to be there, you know, anymore. I wanted to, like, move on and, like, get to training. And then I get a call. And they're like, hey, the reserve the reserve contract dropped. Do you want to go? I'm like, well, what are the chances that, you know, I can switch active duty? He's like, oh, yeah, you, you can do that. I was like, okay. Yeah. You wanted to do active duty? Yeah, Absolutely. What? Okay. So like, uh, let me, like, I was watching some military show with my mom when we were eating dinner, but what, like, and I said, I'm just like, I got a lot of respect. And I've even said this to you before. Like I got a lot of respect and like the most profound respect for the people that do frontline and active duty, because like, I would never be able to do that shit. So like, what about that? And being uh, doing the front line is like attractive to you. And I don't know. And I don't want to come off as saying as that it's like, 
you're crazy for wanting to do it because we wouldn't be living in the country we live in. Well, no, I want to say that we wouldn't have the freedoms we have in this country if it wasn't for or people that are wanting to do active dirty duty to serve and protect us. But did you think like, cause like when I hear active duty, my, my, like in hearing war, it's just like, I like, no, like that's not me. I'm not built that way. So like what, what, in, what about that is attractive to you where you're just like, yes, I want to do active duty. Well, so a lot of people that don't know anything about the military, uh, they don't know the difference between reserve, reserves and active duty. So the only difference is that active duty, you're full time. You're there every single day. You do your job day in and day out every week. Reserves um, is you have a civilian job and you'd work your civilian job every day. But one weekend mm-hmm. every month you go drill with your unit. And then two weeks in the summer for annual training, you're there for a full two weeks to drill with your unit. So that's the only difference. Now, active duty doesn't necessarily mean frontline. Just because you're active duty um, doesn't mean you're you're going, like, getting deployed or whatever. That comes down to MOS, which is Military Occupational Specialty. Um, mm-hmm. And there's a bunch of different categories, right? So combat arms would be those MOS de- designators that make you, I guess, you, you what you would call frontline, right? So... At, Anybody who's boots on the ground in, in a, uh, a combat MOS is infantry, artillery, you know, combat engineers, and, and so forth. The rest of them are aviation contracts, JAGs, which are lawyers, um, admin stuff. So they're like combat support, but they're not actually frontline. They're supporting the operation. So, I mean, you have – and even, even so, like some of those – MOSs can end up on the front lines, right? So like a lot of logistics guys end up doing convoys, you know, in country if you're deployed and they're basically, they have just the same likelihood as getting shot at as infantry guys. Um, Okay. Depending on where they're at, um, especially in war. But like, like I said, it it doesn't mean active duty doesn't mean frontline. It just means that you're a full-time, uh, military personnel and and you're there every single day so whereas like i was in colorado um from october till april i was working as a personal trainer but once a month i'd fly to arizona to go be with my unit and and do drill um so realistically i'm like a part-time part-time guy they call us weekend warriors because we show up on the weekends once a month um but just as such, right, reservists can be activated, which is what I'm doing now. Um, so I got mobilized to San Diego. So I'm on active duty right now. Um, I'm essentially detached from my reserve unit to be with uh, an active duty task force. And So if a war – I don't mean to cut you off, but so if a war was to to break out, you would be deployed? Yes. So what a lot of people don't realize is that – in, in some wars, the majority of the fighting force were reservists who were activated because we have such a large number for personnel that we're like, that's why we're called the reserves, right? We're like, if you need more people, you pull from the reserves. So they're going to send active, <coughs> excuse me, they're going to send active duty first, um, but they're going to need the support of the reserves to kind of like fill in those gaps where their numbers don't match up. And that's why we continue to train every month and then annual annually train uh, in the summer so that we continue to support um, 
the entire operation um, in terms okay. of what, what we're doing. And we maintain our, you know, MLS credibility and our skill sets um, so that when we do plug back into active duty, like we still understand how to do our job. And it's kind of not like, oh, shit, like, what do I do? I, I, I totally forgot. Right. Um, so we're yeah. still doing everything that we would do for our normal job. Um, we just do it less often. Okay. And what was like when you first got to Quantico, like, okay, so now you're in the Marines, you go to Quantico. Um, what was that first initial training like? And was it what you expected it to be? Or was it way more intense than what you expected it to be? And I know, obviously, you can't go into like specifics of what you actually did. But like, just from a general standpoint. Um, so realistically, like you watch enough YouTube videos, you go to far enough down the rabbit hole, you can kind of watch essentially what basic training is like. Um, and it's exactly what it looks like on screen. It's just a to- you just don't feel the intensity behind the screen, right? Like everybody sits there and they say like, oh yeah, if a drill instructor yelled at me like that, like, you know, whatever, not, not going to affect me. Totally wrong. Like you can have that mindset, but when you're in that situation, like, and you're getting screamed at, you know, it's a total, total mindfuck. Like you are going to freeze and you are not going to know what to say. And like, doesn't matter like who you are. It might affect you differently. You might not freeze up as often or as many times before you kind of get the hang of it. But like, you're still going to get scared shitless at one point or another by something that you did or that, you know, I mean, if you have four drill instructors yelling in your face for doing something wrong, as small as like saying a sentence the wrong way, because you put one word in front of the other word and it wasn't supposed to be there. And you're sitting there trying to think about how to reframe that sentence so that it's correct while four people are screaming at you, telling you that you're, you know, a shitbag and that you're like the lowest part of this earth. Yeah, you're going to freeze up. I mean, it was everything that I expected it to be. Um, I had a I had a lot of fun at uh, OCS. Um, I made great friends. uh, But again, they, they call it the best, worst time of your life. Cause it is probably one of the worst times of, you know, cause you're just getting screamed at every day. And like, you like, it's very tough to explain like without actually being there, but looking back on it, this is why they call it the best worst time of your life. Because looking back on it, you have so much fun while you're there. The training is great, right? Some people like being in the field. Some people don't. And generally speaking, those people that don't like being in the field get jobs that are more geared towards admin work. Um, but more, more often than not, the people that like being in the field end up going places like, you know, uh, amphibious assault vehicles or artillery or, um, combat engineer infantry. Those guys are always in the field. Um, and you know, that kind of separate, that's where like the separation happens, right? You start to figure out what you like and what you don't like, and then you kind of start to get your preferences for what MOSs you want to go for. Um, but you look back on all those videos and you just think about all the memories that you had with those guys. And you're like, Oh, you remember that one time when, you know, staff sergeant so-and-so was screaming at, you know, candidate, whoever, and got absolutely blasted. And like, you guys all start laughing at the same thing. So like great memories that, are, that have been had. Um, obviously the training is great. Um, a lot of stuff, you know, you don't think that you'll, you'll get through and you're like, how am I going to do this? And then they show you how to do it. And then you actually, you know, go through and do it. And you're like, wow, you know, hey, that wasn't so bad. Right. Like, um, you know, for example, um, 
I did this, uh, it was called the CET, um, is to get into uh, infantry officers course. And not that I'm allowed to talk too much about it, but basically I was running all morning and basically all the way up until, you know, middle of the afternoon. So we got dropped off at two in the morning in the middle of the woods and they're like, Hey, here's a grid coordinate, go find it. See you there. Um, and essentially by the end of it, I probably ran like 20 miles, um, and did a bunch of shit in between and hit a bunch of different stations, um, to do different type of training. Um, and they're basically like, Hey, just don't be the last guy. And you know, if you pass, you pass. Um, so a lot of these things are like, Hey, get here at this time, um, and do this and then go to a different spot at this time. Um, and like I said, it, it, it sucked. You were, you know, terrified to do it. Uh, terrified is probably not the right word, but like super nervous to do it. But when you were done, you were kind of like, all right, that wasn't so bad. And that's kind of like what the training's like it. You have to do it. It might suck while you're doing it. When you're done, you're like, oh, I wasn't that bad. And then you definitely learn a bunch of shit while you're doing it. And then you look back on it and you're like, wow, that was actually great training. And I feel more prepared for what's, you know, what's next to come. What, how do they, how do they try to, because obviously they try to uh, break you down mentally to, and then build you back up, which it, it's going to sound crazy to say rightfully so, because you're going into combat or you're going to be put into a life or death situation, potentially how, like, at least of what you can speak on and what you can say, how, like, what are the tactics behind that? Like, how are they effective in doing it? Um, I would say uh, sleep deprivation is probably a big one. Um, they make sure that, you know, you're tired or, and then they give you like small things that kind of fuck you up. Not like physically, but like you're sitting there like, oh shit, I got to get this ready or oh, I got to do this. And like, you got to get yourself prepared for it. And you have no idea what's coming the next day. So like mm -hmm. at OCS, like the only concept of time you have is like, hey, I know that at, you know, zero five, the lights are going to turn on and get screamed at to wake up and get dressed in, you know, 35 seconds um and have to get my gear and, and move but i don't know where i'm going and then you know at some point you're gonna get breakfast at some point you're gonna get lunch and at some point you're gonna get dinner and then like by that time you still don't you're not even allowed to have a watch so you really don't know how, what time it is throughout the day you just know that like you will get fed three times a day and you will be training throughout the entire day so like some of the things that they kind of fuck you up with uh like later at night is uh to give you an example um, there was one staff sergeant, uh, who every time that he was on the night shift, we had to make sure that everything was like super squared away and that like nothing was wrong because if it was, then he was going to make our night miserable and we'd be up all night trying to fix it. And one night, um, a bunch of people left their locks, uh, unlocked on their wall locker and their foot locker. So we started taking their locks and then. He turned the lights on and he's like, you know, everybody get online right now. And he basically asked us to unlock all our lockers. And then none of us had our locks marked. So we didn't know what lock was ours. And he made us throw them all in a pile in the middle of, of uh, the squad bay. And then he mixed them all up. And then he said, everybody grab two random ones. He's like, get back to your rack. And he's like, all right, now move two spaces over and then go across, you know, go across a walkway to the other side of the squad bay and switch spots and then move two more spaces and then take those two random locks, put one on the wall locker and one on the foot locker. 
So for three hours at night, people are sitting there, maybe even longer. Some people took longer. You know, the the shit bags went to bed and they're like, I'll figure it out in the morning, which screwed people over, you know, the next morning uh, because their shit's still locked and they don't know whose lock it is. Um, but basically, because nobody had their stuff marked, everybody was going to every single wall locker and every single foot locker, putting in their combination hundreds of times over, trying to figure out which lock was theirs. And that's all during time that you're supposed to be sleeping. So like now you're getting two, three hours of sleep because you're too busy trying to figure something out and kind of unfuck it. You wake up the next morning, and you're like, holy shit, I'm tired. I gotta do this all over again. Yeah. So it's just like mentally taxing. Yeah. So they break you down far enough to the point where you understand that you need to follow orders. Just because you're an officer doesn't mean that you're not taking orders from somebody, but they don't break you down too far because they have to build you back up to be a leader um, and the reason why you're with everybody that is your peer in terms of like uh, grade um, is because if you can't lead your peers who are officers, how can they expect you to lead enlisted Marines? Because that's basically, that was basically like their thought process. Like if you can't lead your own peers and, and kind of, you know, people who think like you, who have college educations, who have out, outside experiences outside the military, who who know what's going on, who know what the real world's like, who held jobs. Like if you can't lead them, then you can't lead an 18 year old kid who knows nothing but the military who just came out of high school. Yeah. Cause that person is going to chew you up because the only thing they do know is the military. And if you don't know the military the way they do, then they're not going to follow you. No, exactly. And what, like now that you've been through all that, you've been through basic, you, you graduated officer school and now you're, pretty much on active duty uh, what is it active duty alert active duty watch like i don't know um, like what, no, is, like, what uh, is your I, current like where's your current standing like right now so right now um what happened was my reserve unit got mobilized so we all got detached from our unit to be put on active duty and we're um a part of a task force um that's down here in san diego um, assisting with COVID operations. So COVID's obviously still a thing. Um, and obviously not to get political, but some states are handling things different ways, but obviously on California here, um, there's still a mass mandate. They're still pushing to get vaccines. Um, but what we have to think is just because COVID's out doesn't mean that you as a military who's supposed to protect this nation, right? Like stop training because, if you stop training and something pops off, like, you know, how can you be prepared? So same thing goes for numbers wise and personnel. People are joining the Marine Corps as fast as they're getting out. Right. So in order to push those numbers through and get Marines trained or get recruits trained to become Marines. Right. Um, we still have to mitigate COVID entering the depot. Right. So like, mm -hmm. If, if a whole platoon or one person, two people test positive with COVID, like that sets that entire class back. And that's, you know, 300 or more recruits that, you know, either cease training or put a pause on training that don't graduate on time. And now, you know, the Marine Corps had allocated X number of spots for, you know, X number of recruits to, you know, newly be newly, uh, uh, you know, Christian Marines to go certain places, those units are expecting those Marines to show up there for training 
you know, to kind of fill in those gaps. And now they're, you know, showing up, you know, maybe, you know, a month later because they had a pause training or they're showing up like two months later because they had to stop it all together. So like, we're here to make sure that, you know, everything is still set in place where people come in either vaccinated or unvaccinated, um, you know, and make sure that they're COVID free. Um, so that they can go into training. So basically it's, uh, if they come in vaccinated, they go right to training. If, if they don't, they have to quarantine. Just like if you would, you know, earlier on where if you went on a trip or whatever and you came back, you couldn't go back to work um, without quarantining for a few days in your house or whatever. So that's what we're doing. We're here to make sure that the Marine Corps still operates, um, you know, at, at full strength. No, of course. And what have you how – how do you feel that that um... – like the discipline and the structure of the military has had an effect on you. Um, do you think that looking, cause obviously, you know, no one, no one says that like, Oh, I need structure. I need discipline. I need your routine. Like no one just inherently says that unless you're like in a really, really, really bad place. Um, and I'm speaking, I'm speaking of that very ignorantly cause I'm, I'm trying to say it as a generality versus like knowing the specifics, but like, just like with following with what I'm saying, like how after going through everything you've gone through in the military and all the experiences you've had thus far, have you looked back and been like, wow, I needed that structure. I needed that discipline. And like, what has it done for you since then? Well, so I think anybody who's an athlete can speak on structure and discipline, right? Like mm -hmm. you're, you have a pretty structured schedule throughout your course of your, your athletic career, if you will, right? Like you have practice times, you have time to work out, you know, you have study hall times, like you have stuff kind of mapped out for you. There's always a plan, right? Like, mm -hmm. you know, you got film, you got film room time. You have to, you know, be at this breakfast or whatever. So you can get on a bus to travel wherever. So like, if you're an athlete, you already know what structure looks like in terms of discipline, like, you know, and that's what and that's why I don't run as often as I should, right? Because every time we got in trouble, we had to run sprints. Um, so for me, running is is being disciplined, right? <laughs> um, mm -hmm. Yeah, and kind of like a punishment. But in in that sense, like it's it's kind of like putting you in a spot where you can get into a routine that works for you, right? So you take what you will off of what you want, like from the training, right? Like so they tell you to make your bed every morning, right? Like, you know, that's something that you do, but you go to any book or any, you know, super rich entrepreneur, you know, you know, top 10 things to do to be a millionaire. First thing they tell you to do is, you know, wake up and make your bed. Why? Because that is the first task of the day. And if you've completed the first task of the day, then you've just taken one step forward to a successful day. And that's is that what you guys have to do in the military? Oh yeah. Every morning you have to, you know, Within within a minute or two, your bed has to be made and you have to be fully dressed with your boots on and tied. Within um, how long? It's like, dude, it's like two minutes. Honestly, it might even be less. So <laughs> there are some there are some tricks to the trade on how to get get around that. So you're not scrambling in the morning. There are some uh -huh. people who never figured it out and they're sitting there trying to make their bed and then get dressed and they got like one boot on and they're like, all right, we're ready to go. Like everybody, you know, get online and then you see one dude who's like, his blouse isn't buttoned. He's only got one boot on and it's like his bed kind of looks like shit and you're like fuck here we go again we're about to get fucked up by this drill instructor um people who don't um but realistically speaking like all those things that like people talk about in terms of like being a better you 
and like being more successful in the day and, you know, attacking the day and like going out and getting it is like a lot of that stuff is in, you know, military training, a lot of stuff you already learned. So like a lot of times being an athlete is, is having a structure and being disciplined, right? Like you're good with your, your meals, right? Like you, you eat healthy, you work out regularly, you stay fit, you know, you're a healthier individual, you make it to practice on time, right? Like you, you make it to games on time, stuff like that. Like that stuff doesn't have to happen in the military for you to be disciplined and, you know, and, you know, have a structure, right? Like you can create your own structure. So it all depends on how you kind of associate, you know, discipline and structure. So it could be different for anyone. I would say that obviously in the military, you do something wrong, you get, you know, you get disciplined for it. For us, it was, we had to write 300 word essays. Um, and recruit training, you get IT, which is where they make you, you know, do push-ups until they tell you to stop or, you know, run in place until they tell you to stop and other things of that nature. I don't necessarily know exactly how they IT Marines because I never went through recruit training, but um, those are some of the things you see on like YouTube videos and some of the stories that I've heard. But I mean, discipline comes in many different ways, right? Like hazing yourself in the gym, that could be discipline. I don't know. Like it, it all, it all comes in different forms. But for me, uh, what I took out of the training was, um, kind of understanding your audience, understanding your job, how you had to do it, how you had to get there. Um, and like what resources you have and how you can utilize them. And then kind of just, it, we call it good dudery, like just being a good dude um, and taking care of your people. Like that's, mm-hmm. that's kind of what I, like a lot of the key points that I, I got out. And then you have like characteristics, right? Like integrity, you know, and stuff like that, um, that, that make you, you know, I would, if you want to call it more disciplined than other people. Um, and a simple thing like, shaving every morning or getting your haircut every week. You know, a lot of people would say that that's discipline, right? Like every day you show up, you know, to work with a clean shaven face and every Monday morning you roll up with a brand new haircut. Is that discipline? Yeah. You know, some people might just live that lifestyle. I always got a haircut every week or two, you know, whether I was in the military or not. Um, whether I shave my face before the military, I don't really have much to shave off my face. So it wasn't a huge deal. (laughs) (laughs) I remember when you bought those, uh, what are those those beard pills? (laughs) You're going to grow beard. Yeah. Yeah, dude, that is so funny. Um, now like, you know, kind of going off of like everything we were just touching on with like the military and stuff like you, you had the like luxury of being out in Denver. Now you're in San Diego has the being out West um, and then obviously with the military, has that like given you like a new perspective on life or do you still kind of like still think the same way you do or like has like, what is, what are your thoughts on that? Um, I would say the training definitely made me think a different way. Um, you know, it's it's a it's a totally different perspective on how to look at life, right? And how to kind of analyze certain situations and kind of like read the room or like read people um, and kind of like maybe see their intentions before they're even spoken, right? Um, mm-hmm. But you just kind of have a different like an edge after training, um, and it's it's very hard to explain like without having gone through the training. It's and 
I wish I had a way to describe it uh, to you, but I would say that the military has given me the opportunity to travel. Um, I would have never made it past, you know, I don't know, as far west as, you know, Tennessee, if, if I didn't choose the location for my reserve unit being Arizona, right? And even before I hit Colorado, Arizona was the furthest west I'd been. Um, and now I'm on the complete opposite side of the country in California. And I drove all, of, I drove to all those locations, right? So, um, you know, driving down the East Coast, I've, you know, moved from New York to Virginia, down to North Carolina. I touched in Atlanta. I've been to Florida, um, you know, been to, you know, Hilton Head Island, right? Um, I've, I've been to a lot of places and, you know, that's either due to sports or due to the military. And being out in out west is is totally different than than being on the east coast, man. Um, probably the biggest probably the biggest thing that I see is is uh, kind of like the speed of how things happen, right? Like, oh, it's so much slower out west. So much, so much slower. Like service is slower. Um, you know, people like to take their time when they're walking. And that really pissed me off. If you know what, you know, <laughs> if there's a such thing called walking rage, you know, I've had that before. <laughs> People are just walking so slow. I'm like, God damn it. Like you just, you know, think the world revolves around you. Like you just walk this slow when you're taking up the entire like hallway or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I would say that the West maybe has more things to see in terms of like mountains um, granted, I've never been to the mountains in New York, so that's also a pretty, uh, pretty far hike. Um, so being in Colorado, just being able to see the mountains, like where you were from, was amazing. Like I could see the mountains every time I drove home from work and that view never got old. Um, when I was out in Arizona, I could see the mountains, um, you know, on my way to and from my hotel room, uh, on drill weekends, like that view never got old. Granted, I would say certain parts of the West are totally different in terms of the lack of green there is in the environment. Like Arizona is basically a fucking desert until you go up North. Um, So that was a shock to me that like they had turf for their front lawns because there was such a lack of grass. So they wanted to maintain, you know, that, you know, American dream house, you know, white picket fence house with a nice front green lawn, but there's no grass. It's so mm-hmm. hot out there that it just dries up and looks like shit. So there's turf everywhere. And that was mind blowing to me for the first time seeing that. Um, and then the food, man. Talk about pizza and wings. I will still never have a better pizza than I've had in New York. I mean, I've had the Chicago style pizza that's like straight from Chicago in downtown Denver, you know, the, the deep dish. And that's phenomenal. But I'm going to be honest with you. I still think Buffalo has the best pizza in the country. It's a mixture between, you know, the nice thin crusted pizza from New York City and a deep dish. And Buffalo's got the best pizza around. As for barbecue wings, I refuse to order barbecue anything outside of New York. They just don't <laughs> No, we definitely have the best pizza up here. That's not the, not the debate. Like I've had uh, Chicago, the Chicago style, the New York style. Meat. But then again, it could just be biased because – I've had people visit um, 
from those places that have been like, yeah, Buffalo pizza is not good. It's doughy and fat. And I prefer, but I think it's like to each their own though. But I don't think like outside of Chicago, New York, or even Buffalo, you're getting a good slice of Zah unless it's um, like specialty pizza, like uh like either like a flatbread or like a, a margarita yeah. or like something or like something crazy like that. Yeah. I mean, so I would say this though, like anywhere outside of New York is, I mean, unless you're in Long Island, Right. Any anytime you're near the ocean, seafood's great. Right. North Carolina seafood was awesome. Um, what's it called San Diego seafood's great. Um, and also being in Arizona and San Diego, like the Hispanic food is on point out here. There are so many good burrito places that it's it's detrimental to someone's health. Like I could eat at some of those burrito places every single day. Oh, my gosh. I could imagine. But, yeah, but, like, you don't really get that much stuff in terms of Hispanic food in, like, Buffalo. You know, mm-hmm. you, you do when you go to New York City, um, but not necessarily when you're in Buffalo. Um, North Carolina, not not so much either. I'm sure Florida has some great Hispanic food. There's such a, a large Hispanic population down there that I, would, I wouldn't put it past them to have some of the better Spanish food in the country. Um, Where, down in Florida? The, yeah. I mean, you go to Miami, you're basically in Cuba. Yeah, no, literally. That's what uh, <laughs> yeah. that's that's what um, that's what uh, Megan was saying since he's been down in Miami. Yeah, I told me he was gonna leave there with a Hispanic wife. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> no, I actually couldn't. I actually couldn't because she would run his life. That is hilarious. He's gonna listen to this and just be like, "Oh yeah, yeah, yeah." Yeah, he's, he's gonna call me right after he listens. You be, like, "Hey, buddy." Yeah, you, you think I'm gonna? You think somebody's gonna run my life? Like, yes, no, I do. <laughs> no, hundred percent. But I mean, so like we've been we've been you know just shooting the shit here for a little bit for you know getting close to like an hour and a half. So, um, you know, like wrapping things up here. Um, what like going back to the school part aspect of it? What were some? Because I just have some like final questions for you. Like what, what were, I can't even speak right now. What are some things that you like looking back now that you're out of school that you wish you would have learned in school? I mean, so. If there's anything. Right. So like say France did a great job in terms of like shit, like college applications, right? Like Mm -hmm. I think it was tough in a lot of public schools where kids were struggling to figure out how to fill out a college application or like how to write their college essay we had a actual class that you literally sat there and the entire class was, you will fill out this college application step-by-step with a teacher walking around, helping you do it. And then part of your writing assignment was submitting college essays to those universities. And you had to get them revised like three times before you submitted it to that college. So applying to colleges was, was super easy, but I definitely think that, uh, you know, high schools could do a better job of, uh, making reading more fun rather than just assigning like summer books to read and be like, Hey, show up to school with these 10 books read. Like that shit ain't fun. Right. Like the only reason why people read like the mass amounts of books that they read is because they enjoy it. They find it fun. Right. And I think that um, probably one of the better classes I had uh, was with uh, my religious teacher, Mike Marcel. And, you know, there is a book that we read, but we'd sit in a circle for class and we talk about it and we debate what we read. Right. So like 
there are some there are some pages like for the military on Instagram, right? And uh, there's a major Thomas Schumann who I follow, and he he's a literature teacher at the Naval Academy, and and he talks about reading books all the time, right? And so did the you know previous comment on the Marine Corps and General James Mattis. You know, he said, if you haven't read X amount of books, you're functionally illiterate, right? Like there is time to read all the time. Like if you tell yourself you don't have time to read, then like you're wrong. Like you can find time to read, mm-hmm. right? And and obviously everybody knows knowledge is power, right? But if you like reading helps you express yourself more um, and so does writing, right? So like I've, I've journaled in the past, uh, I've gotten away from it, but like I journal here and there, I have a notebook with me that like, sometimes, you know, I just have a thought that comes to my mind. I'm like, Oh shit, I gotta write this down. Um, mm-hmm. I have notebooks in my car. I have notebooks in every bag that I own, um, with a pen just in case I ever have to write something down. But like expressing yourself through writing is, is a great tool to kind of help you understand yourself better. Um, and kind of understand where your thoughts are going. And then books is essentially just, you know, something to learn more about different things, right? Like I forgot, I think it was Major Thomas from you said this. I can't remember exactly how it said, but it's, he probably got it from somebody that he read, honestly. Um, But it was like everything that, like everything in history and learning is like, it's not that you haven't learned it yet. It's just that you haven't read it yet. Or you haven't seen it. Like there's, there's not nothing that you like, you know, everything that you know, but the only things that you don't know are the things that you haven't read or that you haven't seen. Right. But it's out there. The information is out there. You just have to read it. Right. So if you want to know something, you just have to pick up a book and read up, read about it. Um, and essentially that's what I think college fails to do in high school as well Is like, they're forcing these books on people to read, but like, there's no real, I guess, like educational purpose to that book in terms of like some, some classes, right? Like well, high school gives you 10 books to read. Um, you know, how many of those books, how many books are, I'm going to ask you a question. How many books in high school that you read, do you actually remember reading? Um, uh, um, I'm trying to think. I got to think off the top of my head. I remember, um, what's the one with Atticus Finch? Oh, To Kill a Mockingbird. Right. So, like, I didn't read that, but you see how hard you had to think about that? Well, no, I remember. I'm trying to think, like, to, well, we always had to do book reports. So, like, that, but the only one besides To Killing Mockingbird um, that I actually remember that stuck out to me was The Alchemist, because our senior year teacher, Mr. Athemus, he made us read that because he said it was going to be a life changing book, which I believe it is but we can get into that a complete different day, but to your point, not many. Right. So like, for example, one of the books that I remember is like 1984, you know, great book, mm-hmm. phenomenal book. And I actually reread it again uh, recently just because like a lot of stuff that he wrote in that book is like kind of happening or like, you know, it's pretty prevalent in like certain situations. Right. But like, there are so many books that, I read in like high school or, you know, middle school or whatever that like, I don't remember or that I don't remember taking anything away from it. I just read it because it was a task to do and I had to read it to get a grade in the class. But like um, taking literature and, you know, formulating it into a structured conversation after the fact so that you kind of break down how you thought about what you read 
and then listening to some someone else talk about how they took their perspective out of what they read, you're not only understanding more of what you thought, but you're seeing a totally different perspective from a totally different individual who thinks completely different than you. And you're getting a better understanding of the book itself. Mm. Right. So like not only are you seeing your point of view, you're seeing their point of view. And then the teacher is going to give you the, what he thinks the author's point of view was. And now you're just kind of taking all these ideas and formulating like this kind of like sphere of ideas or, you know, things that you got from that book. And I think the biggest thing is that like, we need to read books that we can take information out of and apply them to our lives. I completely agree. Yeah. Right. So like, for example, like why aren't we taking, you know, finance classes in high school you have to take finance classes in college but a lot of times you don't take finance class in college if that's not a part of you know an elective that has to do with your major 100 percent. you know like how how many people you know leave college or whatever and they're like oh shit i had to file my taxes for the first time i guess i'm gonna learn how to do it right now or like applying for a loan to to get a car or whatever you need the loan for, right? Like the only time you ever apply for a loan is, you know, maybe for college. And then, you know, that process is kind of already uh, like mapped out for you. Like, so the biggest thing that I see with these recruits is 98% of these, these kids who just graduated from high school have no idea how to, how to write a letter, like what the letterhead is on the envelope. They don't know how to write that. That's insane. Like for you to not understand that, like the post goes or the the stamp goes in the top right corner, who you're sending it to goes in the front middle. And then who it's from goes in the top left. Like is writing letters, a complete lost art due to technology because we can email text, FaceTime call, right? Like stuff like that. Like how many people know how to write a check or even have a checkbook anymore? Granted, checks might be obsolete, right? Because we have Venmo and banking apps and stuff like that, like Zelle. Do you necessarily need to write a check? No, but there's a lot of places like apartment complexes that you might live in that might only take a money order or a check for payment. They won't take your card. So how many people actually know how to go get a money order or where to get a money order? Things that like... Oh, yeah, I feel that. You know, things are going to be applicable to your life down the road that like nobody tells you how to do in high school and probably rarely in college, um, unless you're like doing it for your major, you know, like there are a lot of things out there that should be taught. I actually still write letters to people. Like if I'm, I've I've written letters. I mean, I wrote letters at OCS all the time. I wrote a letter home to my mom. I wrote letters to other people as well. Like I got letters from other people that I responded to. Like I've done it. You know, I don't do it often because it's, you know, honestly easier to pick up your phone and text that person or call them. But, you know, sometimes it's it's cool to to do right. Like, you know, kind of bringing back some nostalgia and, and writing a letter and something that is not done so much anymore. No, not at all. And going off of that, the last the three. Yeah. The last three questions I have for you wrapping it up here. Um, if you have anything for it, what is the worst advice you've ever been given? 
if you remember it, because I know sometimes when you get shitty advice, it's just in here and out the other. It's mm, a tough one. Well, all right. We'll forget that. Forget that one. <laughs> yeah, I don't. What that, is, that might what have is... been some <laughs> you to bring up prior to the to the podcast, so I can answer that. That's a really tough <laughs> what one. What is the what is the best piece of advice you've ever gotten? Never change for anyone. Always be yourself. And what does that mean to you? Not everyone's gonna like you, right? They're people who just don't like you based off maybe appearance, how you speak or, you know, how you present yourself. You know, sometimes you might have to tweak how you present yourself in a more professional manner um, in order to adhere to certain standards. But um, that doesn't mean change yourself. That doesn't mean change like your personality and who you are. Right. Like your people are not going to like you everywhere you go and people mm-hmm. are going to like you everywhere you go. So don't get caught up in changing and conforming to a group of people to be liked, because if you're doing that, then they're probably not your real friends. You're like your real friends like you because of who you are. Um, and you're never going to find yourself and your identity in terms of as a person. If you continue to change for other people, you won't actually know who you are. Like if you, if you change all the time because someone told you to change, then whatever name you call yourself, that's not who you are. You're whatever the group of people you're around call you. Mm-hmm. So just like, you know, you, I'm sure you've heard, right? Like surround the five people you surround yourself is like the average of the five people surround yourself is generally speaking, like who you are. And that's why they tell you, Hey, surround yourself with individuals that push you and that kind of like, you know, make you a better person. Not necessarily meaning that like you have to change yourself, but they implore you to be a better version of you. Mm-hmm. But and... if if you listen to the last thing that I said in that sentence, it's not change you to become a different person. It's to be you. You're still no, you at the that. end of the day. You're just a better version of you. Absolutely. In the last question I have for you, which I already told you about this to let you think on it, because I'm expecting a good answer from you of all people. If you could meet your 18-year-old self, you can meet 18-year-old Alex again. And from all the ups and downs you've had in life, um, what would you tell yourself about those things? And what piece of advice would you give yourself to carry with you moving forward in life? I would say um, follow your heart more. Do things that make you happy. Um, I would say kind of ask more questions, put yourself out there more, um, in terms of like growth. Um, and then I guess kind of, I don't know how to put this, but, um, I don't know, man, like take every opportunity that you get, right? Don't, don't turn down a good opportunity. Do the things that are going to benefit you to put your best foot forward to reach the success that you want to have. And then obviously like understand that you're going to have struggles in life and you're going to hit some lows, but once you hit the low, the only place to go is up. So like I would tell myself to keep pushing forward 
and to kind of take out the positives in every experience and not necessarily dwell on the negative side of things because there's always a brighter side to every situation that things happen for a reason and those things are building you and preparing you for the person that you're supposed to be down the road so like in, in retrospect like you know understand that you're in the situation that you are because there's something better coming for you and then when you get to the top look for the next next mountain peak to climb and get there and, and keep kind of looking on the horizon to the future to keep reaching new goals and new heights absolutely i love that and so with that being said i think that's uh i think that's the episode hey man appreciate you having me on man it's uh it's been fun it's been fun uh catching up great talking uh, absolutely i mean i talk to you every day anyway so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was it was good to have you on i mean once uh like i was saying with like megan and a couple of the other guys like ben Derek, and stuff once i got a um once I get like actual, you know, multiple mics and stuff like that, we could definitely get a, uh, get some, uh, joint episodes going. Cause that's when it's really going to get funny. <laughs> oh, that's when it's make it rowdy. But yeah, um, I'd, I'd love to be on again. So you just let me know, um, you know, we'll, we'll shoot the shit on a different topic or whatever, kind of break something else down. Um, but yeah, I, I'd love to, to be on again. And then, uh, when you get those extra mics, def- definitely let me know. We'll get some, uh, some crazy people in here. All right, Poshkins. I appreciate it, my guy. <laughs> hey, tell Nick I said what's up, man. All right, I got to go. <laughs> All right, I'll see you. All right, man. Out.